Greetings to each of you this morning in Jesus' name. So today is a special day for a number of people. Anybody want to say what today is? Okay, today's Mother's Day. Did you ever think about the fact that humanity is joined in at least one common way, and that is the fact that we all have had a mother? Our experiences have been different, but yet all of us have had a mother. And most of us, if not all of us here, I would feel confident in at least saying that most of us have had mothers who did a lot for us. And as we think about this day, it's easy for us to just, you know, say thank you to our mother. But I challenge us all to think about what our mothers have done for us, what they've given up for us. And I believe that God created motherhood to provide for more than just a way to nurture new life. I believe that he designed motherhood as a unique opportunity to mold and influence the next generation. And I'll speak this morning specifically to the mothers. And I always feel a little bad when I do this because when you single out and speak specifically to the men or specifically to the mothers, you, know, you're, you, you feel like that you're leaving out a certain segment of your audience. But yet, I think there's things and there's blessings in these scriptural principles for all of us. But a mother has a unique opportunity to influence her children as they grow. And I believe that in many ways, a mother has even more influence over children than what a father does at least in their early years. And I don't have any accounts in my notes, but you've probably heard accounts before of someone who was strongly influenced by their mother, even in early years. Uh, a biblical example of that would be Moses. Uh, somehow, in Moses's very early formative years, probably from birth to roughly the age of, I'm going to say five, I don't know how long that he was in his mother's care before Pharaoh's daughter took him to the palace. But somehow in those early years, Moses' mother was able to have a, a strong positive influence on him. And I believe it determined in a large part the fact that God was able to use him as one of the greatest men in the history of the world. So why does a mother have so much influence over her children? I think in most situations, not all, but in most, a mother spends more time with her children, at least in the early years, than a father does. 
Also, another reason I believe that a mother has a strong influence over her children is that God has given women a natural, nurturing personality that often seems more in tune to the needs of her children than what we as men might have. Maybe I'm telling on myself, but it's easy for us men to be a little more could you say, rough and tumble about life. Uh, and the mothers have a lot more care and sympathy and uh, are more in tune to the, to the hurts and the, the needs of a child. And I believe that that helps them to enable them to have a lot of, of influence upon their child, children. So if this is the case, that God has given the opportunity and given, the, given the, uh, that special position to mothers as, as being having a, a real place of influence, each mother has the responsibility to use that God-given opportunity, that God-given uh, ability according to His will for His honor and glory. If God designed this influence, God has a purpose. But just as with everything else good that God created, Satan comes and tries to draw us away. He tries to give us a counterfeit, something that to, to attract our attention away from God's principles from from what God has designed and it's sobering for us to consider that how that ability is used will help to determine the eternal destiny of souls now I will say that even if God's plan is followed even if we do everything right our children have the ability to choose. Our children can still make wrong choices. They do get to choose for themselves. So there's no guarantee. And I don't want anybody here to feel like or to look at anybody else and feel like because someone has a child who made wrong choices in life that they, that they had a bad mother. I, I don't believe that. It can play a part, but... Let's not be judgmental. My challenge is for us to use the opportunity and the abilities that God has given to influence our children in God's ways. I believe it's an influence that can be a tremendous force for good and a tremendous force in God's kingdom. Now there's a number of mothers who are spoken of in the Bible. And I want to talk about just a couple of them and just pull out a few lessons that we can learn. I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy, first of all. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we have Paul addressing Timothy as a young man. And he speaks about his mother and his grandmother. And he says some interesting things. 
So let's read 2 Timothy. I will start at verse 3 of chapter 1. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that, that without ceasing I have remembered remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it also that in thee also. We'll stop there. So he's he's addressing Timothy, and he's saying that uh, he's he's filled with joy when he thinks of the unfeigned faith that is alive in Timothy's life. There was something in Timothy's life that stood out to Paul. But he says that it didn't start with Timothy. Timothy had learned it from his mother and his grandmother. And I think that it's an important thing for us to consider. He speaks of an unfeigned faith in Timothy, which was first in his mother and grandmother. And so what does that mean? What is an unfeigned faith? That means a faith that is sincere. Something that's not put on. Something that's not hypocritical. They were living out what they believed. The practice of their lives was flowing out of their belief in Jesus Christ their faith in God. And I believe that as, as, as what they believed was lived out in their life, it impacted Timothy and it charted a course for his life. And I believe the same is true today. That as a mother has a true deep relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and firmly believes and is firmly committed to Him and to His Word, that what flows out of her life will have a profound impact on her children. You know, if, if we have... If our, if our belief and our practice don't line up, I think that our children are some of the first that might pick up on that. Children are amazingly intuitive and when our belief and our practice don't line up you know the thought of the example of of in belief and practice of you know, we say that we are uh, non-resistant but then how do we act towards that neighbor or whoever that does something that is offensive to us. You know, does our belief and our practice line up? And I believe that in Timothy's mother and grandmother's lives, they had a belief and their practice flowed from that belief. Our actions speak sometimes much louder to our children than our words. 
They can tell what we truly believe, what's truly important to us, but what we do. So if you want to be and to have a godly impact on your children, like Timothy's mother and grandmother, be sure you have a faith that's well-grounded, that's well-committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the church. Strong faith that causes you to live according to Scripture, that causes you to be a student of the Word. You care about God's Word and what His Word says about how you should live your life. Also, a mother that prays for her children, for her family, is a tremendous godly, has a tremendous godly impact. As her children see her living out that faith of commitment to the Lord, commitment to the church, commitment to her family and prayer, caring about their well-being spiritually. Another passage that I wanted to touch on this morning comes from Proverbs 31, and you probably know that passage well. And I'm not going to read all of it. I want to read one verse here shortly, so you can turn there if you would like. Proverbs 31 is a uh, chapter that has been very much uh, expounded on and extolled. It speaks of the wife of noble character. Or a virtuous woman. And it's been held up as a standard for a godly woman. And there's a lot of tremendous virtues that are addressed in that chapter. The virtuous woman working hard to take care of the physical needs of her family. But I challenge you sometime to read that passage and consider that most of those virtues that are listed of the godly woman, most of those things can be accomplished by an ungodly woman. What I'm trying to say is let's not hold those virtues up as godliness. Because there's many ungodly women that work hard and strive to meet the needs of their family strived for a financial gain, etc. But there's one verse here that is set apart, that sets apart one virtue that's imperative for a godly, virtuous woman. And it's verse 30, and I'd like to read that. Proverbs 31, verse 30. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. I'd like to read that as well from the New International Version. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That is the crowning character of this woman of virtue that's listed in Proverbs 31. The fact that she fears the Lord. Without that characteristic, all of the, her other virtues become futile from a spiritual standpoint. You know, as parents, we like to work hard 
to try to supply for the for our children to give them their needs and often we work pretty hard to even give them their wants and i'm not saying that's wrong uh, another thing that I forgot that I had here in my notes, we work hard to give them experiences. Do you ever think about, we live in an era of experiences. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of things people strive for so their children can have a certain experience, a certain vacation, etc. Those things in, a, in and of themselves aren't necessarily wrong. But without the fear of the Lord, they become futile. We can work ever so hard to supply those needs, but without having the fear of the Lord, we'll miss the mark. And so women, mothers, as you look at this chapter and consider the virtuous woman, never forget that verse 30 holds the key. And in that key, is where you will have eternal impact on your children and in your home. There's another mother mentioned in Scripture that in some ways we know a good bit about, and in other ways we don't know very much. And that mother is Sarah. We know her as the mother of Isaac. We have some things recorded about her through the story of Abraham. We know that she became a mother very late in life. She had one son. It was the son of promise. God promised that she would have a son, even though she was of great age. But you know, we really don't read much about her, her life. You know, we have these couple little windows there in the Old Testament. But in 1 Peter 3, we have a mention of her as Peter gives some directives to Christian women. And I'd like to turn there and read several verses and draw out a few principles from what Peter tells us about Sarah. 1 Peter 3, I'd like to read the first six verses of this chapter. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may, be, may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, those six verses could easily be a sermon in and of themselves. And so, I just want to pull out several things that I see in these verses. 
some things that I believe are important for mothers. So notice, first of all, in the last part of verse 1 and first part of verse, or going on through verse 2, it speaks about uh, the ability of, of a wife having an unbelieving husband that she has the ability through her character, through the Christian character she displays, and the word used here in the King James is conversation. That speaks about your entire life, your way of life. So he is saying here that to, to a woman who has an unbelieving husband that you have the ability <clears throat> by simply living out godly principles, by displaying Christ living in your life, you have the ability to win your husband to the Lord. And as I thought about that, I, was, I thought, you know, if a wife's godly Christian conduct can be so effective, can speak so clearly, so loudly, that it can win her unbelieving husband to the Lord. Shouldn't that godly character in her life as well have a tremendous impact upon her children? Again, the importance of a commitment to the Lord, a daily walk with Him, having the Lord live in your heart and and his life, his principles flowing out. Mothers, your godly example is very important in the home. Also, here we see in verse 1 that Christian women are called to be in subjection to their husbands. And there's people that take issue with that. And I actually have a message I've preached before at Bethany that I want to bring here sometime about leadership and talking about God's ordained order of leadership. That's what this is speaking of. God has set in place an authority structure. And this isn't putting women in a lower position than man. But it's simply the authority structure that God has put in place. And he's saying that it's the woman's place to be Submissive, not, in, not, not that the husband has the right to browbeat his wife because we're also commanded to treat our wives as the weaker vessel, to treat them with honor, with love, to treat them and love them as our own bodies. But he's saying here that the godly wife needs to follow what God has set in place if she wants to experience God's blessing in her life. If she wants to experience God's blessing in her home and with her children. Really, I see in these verses them speaking about having a willingness to humbly submit to what God has set in place and what God has said is good rather than on, in, in insisting on doing it my way. There are blessings for all of us is we give up our own carnal will and desires and surrender them to God's way, no matter where we find ourselves 
in the authority structure that God has set in place for mankind. Also, in verse 2, he speaks about a woman's chaste conversation. Again, way of life. Chaste is referring to pure and modest and decent. And I believe that a Christian mother needs to be exemplifying the principles of purity and decency in all areas of life. In dress, in conduct. You know, we like to talk about modesty from a standpoint of how we dress, but modesty as well has an awful lot to do with our personal conduct. So remember, thinking about this, this idea of, of chaste conversation or chaste way, way of life, all that God created was good and pure. And if we allow anything to creep into our lives, to be displayed in our life, that is impure or indecent in any way, we are no longer reflecting God's character. So maybe a way of summing up that thought is simply the words self-control. Not, you know, not letting our desires run away, but keeping them in control. He goes on to speak of adornment. And you know, most women, maybe all, have a desire to be attractive. And that desire is so strong that it drives an industry in, in this country that is worth, I don't know how much, but billions of dollars. Y'all ever think about that? The beauty industry in this country is preying on women's natural instinct to want to be attractive. And the women get out their credit cards or whatever they use and they just fall prey to it. Because there's a strong desire there. It's God-given. God has put that into your heart. But Peter here is calling for a beauty that's not defined by outward things. Not by how your hair is styled. Not by wearing of jewelry, things to decorate and enhance. Not by dressing to attract attention. But rather, he says, a godly woman is to be adorned by an inner character, a character of, the, of a meek. In quiet spirit, again, speaking of that attitude of, of submission and willingness to put yourself in the place where God has, has said, this is where I want my godly women to be. It's a character that is an outward expression of an inner change in the heart because it creates a different focus. It's still a focus on beauty, but it's a different type of beauty. God's saying there's a different type of beauty that is more valuable to me. And he says that that inner beauty comes from a changed heart and it's a great price or a high value in God's sight. The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit is not something that we can go to the store and buy and put on. But it comes at a price. It comes at a price of surrender of self to the Lordship of Jesus Christ.
And the reason I bring this out is because I think that a mother's, how, how a mother submits to this in her life is going to have a tremendous in, impact and influence upon her children. Whether they're influenced towards seeking an outward beauty or whether they're influenced towards developing a beautiful, inward, godly character. Again, it's about displaying to your children a willingness to submit to God's ways. A a recognition that God's ways are best. Peter goes on to say that this is how the holy women adorned themselves as they were in subjection to their husbands. And here's where we get to Sarah. Peter says that she was an example of adorning herself with that inward beauty of submission and respect, not of trying to develop an outward beauty. And he says that today, women, godly women who follow this example are daughters of Sarah, if you're following in her footsteps. Again, I believe that a mother's influence is an influence that has a tremendous impact on her children. It has a tremendous influence. And mothers, if you want to be, if you want to maximize your influence on your children, you need to follow closely God's plan as He has laid it out in His, in His Word. And like I said, there's no guarantees that our children are going to, to make the right decisions, unfortunately. But I'm confident that if we willingly submit to His ways and to, the, to God's plan, the greater the chance that they will make right decisions. Again, remember Proverbs 31.30 that favor or charm is deceitful and beauty is vain or fleeting. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The fear of the Lord, following His ways and not our own is where we find that true beauty that He's speaking of here from from Sarah and other godly women of the past. Now, I wanted to comment a little bit here on 1 Peter 3, verse 6. It says at the very end of that, it says, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. And that's a little difficult to understand. And so often, some of these really difficult verses to understand, you go to commentaries to try to get some help on understanding them, and you learn that some of those commentators weren't quite so sure about it either. But I wanted to read that from the New International Version. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I'm going to tell you what I think that means. If you disagree, you can let me know afterwards. We face a tremendous peer pressure to follow 
what the world says is the standard to follow after. When it comes to adornment, when it comes to what is beautiful, what is important. And I believe that he is speaking here of following after God's ways without fear. So I ask, are you going to give in to fear of what others think? You're going to give in to the fear of wondering where, well, if I submit to this or if I do this, where is that going to lead? Or are you going to move forward with the fear of God? Without fear, because you're following God. Do you ever think about that? When you're following God's ways, we can move forward without fear because we know the one who set those principles in place. So do you fear what others think? Do you fear what the future holds? Or do you fear what God thinks? Do you fear Him? And I believe that's what he's speaking of here. To not... To, in the NIV, to, not, to do what is right and to not give way to fear. Because fear of this, the things of this world will lead us away from God's principles. But the fear of the Lord will give us the strength to stand up for what the Bible says in spite of what the world around us is doing. So in closing, thank you all, each of you who are a mother today, for what you're doing for your family and for your children. Keep it up. And I encourage each one of you all to, to, to be even more greatly determined to be a woman that fears the Lord and exerts a godly influence on your children. We don't know where that will lead. But it has proven in the past that godly women have produced men and women that God has been able to use in a powerful way. So let's do our part that we raise our children so that God has young people coming on that are committed to Him and to His ways that He can use in a powerful way in His kingdom. May God bless you.